Well, praise the Lord, everybody. I'll be happy when we could all take our masks off. You know, one of the things about preaching is, you know, you look for a reaction from people. It's hard to tell. I, I said this earlier. It's hard to tell if someone's laughing or frowning or making a face at me. But <laughs> I'm trying to read your eyes, but it's hard, you know. But anyway, we're going to preach the Word of God today. Take your Bible. Turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 1. Uh, we're just going to look at one verse today. Uh, Acts 1, verse 8. Uh, let me pray before we uh, get into the message this morning. Father, Lord God, thank you that we could worship you today. Thank you, Lord, for those that are here, for those that are watching and participating via live stream. Thank you for the miracle of live stream. Uh, we pray, Lord, now uh, we've, we've prayed, we've, we've worshiped, we, we prayed, we received an offering. Lord, now it's time to hear your word. So, Lord, I believe you put a special message in my heart to share today. I pray for your help in preaching the word of God today. Anoint me, Lord, that I may share the word the way you want and what you want. I pray, Lord, that everyone that hears it, whether people here or people at home or people later in the week, wherever they might be, watching the, the, uh, the uh, video of it, that your people will be edified and, and, and built up because of your word today. Lord, in the process of this dynamic of preaching the word, may hearts be touched, but Lord, may your heart be touched. May you be glad and happy with your people hearing and applying the word of God. So, Lord, bless this time now. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, You shall receive power... When the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost part of the world. Uh, this month of June, we're focusing on a particular topic. Uh, the topic for the month is the topic of relationships. And each Sunday, we'll have a message built around that topic. Last Sunday, the name of the message was um, Horizontal Love. Today, I want to I've entitled the message, Power to Love, Power to Love. And this comes in the aftermath of weeks of demonstrating, protesting, marches, rallies over the nation uh, regarding the recent killings of several African-American citizens by police or civilians. I want to give uh, great applause and credit to the high school students of Haverhill, that put together a, a peaceful march to end racism yesterday. I wasn't there, but I watched it on, on a live stream feed. Uh, people marched. Some of you here were, were in it, and I commend you for that. But it started at Trinity Stadium, the football stadium, uh, down uh, River Street, I guess that is, over to Gar Park. And there were liter literally, I thought there were about 1,000 people. There might have been more than 1,000 people there uh, talking, sharing, uh, rallying together, putting their hearts together. I heard, I heard passionate speakers share their hearts. High school kids, a few adults. I heard powerful words, and I, I felt emotion. I felt a lot of emotion. I saw tears. One young lady cried. She just was so frustrated with the whole situation. I was reminded in the 60s. How many of you remember the 60s? Come on now, it's okay. You have to be 60 to remember the 60s. No, no, not really. Well, back in the 60s, in the, in the height of the civil rights movement, uh, there was a song uh, by Sam Cooke called The Change is Going to Come. 
You may want to check that out. It's a great song. And a lot, a lot of changes have happened since then. You know, looking back on it, there's been a lot of legislation. There's been a lot of social changes, attitude changes. But what I heard yesterday was that although there's been a lot of change, there's a whole lot more change that has to come. And so 60 years later from, from the civil rights movement, we're still in the same place. And, I, and I, as I experienced this thing yesterday, I, I have to tell you, I was genuinely moved. I, my heart was like touched by these people that were out there demonstrating and they had a voice to say, this is not right. Racism is wrong. Now, who cannot agree with that? I mean, racism is wrong. Absolutely. But I felt, I felt, I felt them. I felt their passion for this. And as I was, you know, thinking about it, I, I was thinking, wait a minute now. I remember when Martin Luther King gave his speech in D.C., the great I Have a Dream speech in the 60s. I remember when he, he was a sad, I remember that whole thing. I was young, but I remember. And I'm thinking, man, a, a change has come, but a, a greater change has to come. But I, I had this revelation in my heart and mind and spirit that the change that's going to happen cannot be legislated. It can't come from Washington. It can't come by different policies and things. I mean, maybe things could be a little better, but really the change that, that we're talking about has got to come from in here, from the heart. It's got to be a heart change. And until there's a heart change, nothing's going to change. Let me make a, a statement here. This is a, a quote the Lord gave me. I, I'm taking credit for it, unless someone could say they heard it somewhere else. Maybe it's been said somewhere else. It seems like it might have been, but I never heard it. Racism is not political. Racism is spiritual. You can't legislate how to deal with racism. It's, it's just a spiritual issue. And I, and I, I want to remind you, in case, or tell you in case you didn't know, in the 50s and 60s, unfortunately, a lot of racism, a lot of issues along those lines came from the church, as well as many Helpers came out of the church to end racism, but the church was on both sides of the fence. So there are people now that, that, that are not looking to the church because they've had it with the church. The church was not supportive back then or whatever. The church was not a voice, and, and now they don't want the church. They just want to do what they think is best. It may take a form of violence or protest or whatever, but they want to do it, and they want change, and they want it now. But I want to tell you that this message that I'm going to preach today is 100% for the body of Christ. A lot of times I'll share a message and it has some evangelistic overtones, not this one. This is a message for the believer. Because I believe, now I, I, can, I can understand racism in the world. There's been racism since the beginning of time. It's understandable, it's unacceptable. But racism in the church is an abomination. And it should never be in the church. Historically, it has been. Billy Graham said it many years ago, the most segregated time in America is Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, when all the different people go to their own little place and it's, everything's segregated. But Jesus said in Acts 1.8, I will give you power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you so you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost parts of the world. And Jesus often spoke about the Holy Spirit. Let me refresh your memory. John 14, 15, 16, I won't read the whole passages, but Jesus said, it's better that I go away. 
Because when I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. I won't leave you as orphans, he said. But I've got to, I've got to do what I've got to do. When I'm glorified, then I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you a teacher. I'm going to send you a guide to help you, help you navigate these waters. And so Jesus, after his resurrection, he made this proclamation before he ascended. I will send you the Holy Spirit. And you will have power to be my witnesses. So church, you and I have a promise from God to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me put it a different way. We cannot be effective witnesses for Christ based on our own strength, our own power, and our own wisdom. We've got to do it with God's power and God's anointing. Otherwise, it's not going to happen effectively. Which may be a case for whatever happened to the churches in the 50s and 60s, where, where was the voice? There was a small voice, but I keep thinking if the, if the body of Christ... Now, I, I'm, I'm guilty by association, I guess. I wasn't saved, but my church, I don't think my church at the time did anything. I was aware of it from the news. But I'm just saying if every church in America had a, had a Holy Ghost anointing on it, would not there be a power from on high to be a witness for Jesus? And racism would be eradicated in that case. In any case, Acts chapter 2, the message went out to Jerusalem. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers, the leaders heard the word of God. Um, in Acts chapter 8, verse number 1, it says the persecution came and, and the word of God spread th through Judea and Samaria. In Acts chapter 10, the story of Cornelius, the word of God was given now to the Gentiles. In Acts 13, 14, 15, Paul and Barnabas went on their mission trip, proclaiming the word of God over all the region. So yes, yeah, so all this happened in, in, in that, that first generation of the church. And I thought about that, like, why was it so important? Why, why is the story the way that it is? Why did Jesus have to die? Well, for our salvation, I, I get that. But wouldn't, wouldn't the church have been smart enough or clever enough or motivated enough to share this gospel all over the world without having him go through the, the death and defeating Satan and setting captives free and, 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 and rising from the dead and appearing for 40 days and then ascending into heaven, being glorified, and then sending the Holy Spirit? I thought maybe just maybe the church could just do it without all that. And I realized a lot of churches try to do it without all that, and they fall flat on their face. So I want to give you three reasons why we need this power of the Holy Spirit. The first two uh, will be a preliminary for number three. Number three is where I want to focus on for the rest of the message. But the first reason that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness is because we have a supernatural message. I don't want to talk to people about the things of God without an anointing of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 2, we read that we once walked according to the prince of the power of the air. In 1 Peter 2, we read that God has called us out of darkness to walk in his marvelous light. 
In Acts 26, Jesus said to Paul, Paul, I've called you to open their eyes, the Gentiles, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to, the, to, to God, for the forgiveness of sins, and that they might receive the inheritance of all the saints. I don't know about you. I don't want to be declaring the things of God when I know I'm hitting heads against demonic forces without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit because we have a supernatural message. And whether we want to focus on it or not, and I know we're very careful not to give too much credit to the enemy of our soul, but nonetheless, he's very real, demons are real, and it's a very real situation. In fact, Ephesians 6.12 says, and you know it, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We fight against, what, principalities, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I do not want to enter that battlefield without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what happened to the seven sons of Sceva in, what was it, Acts 19? They're, they're proclaiming the things of God. And the man that was filled with demons said, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? And attacked them and they, and they were defeated. They had no power. They had no anointing. I don't want to go out there to proclaim the things of God without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural message. It's also an eternal message. First Peter says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God the Word of God that we love and that we preach, that we quote every day, that we put on Facebook, the Word of God never dies. It's eternal. It lasts forever. Jesus said, I've come to give eternal life. John wrote, these things I've written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if, if in this life we have hope only, we're the most pitied people of all. We have an eternal message. I don't want to be preaching an eternal message without an anointing of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, we need the power of the Holy Spirit because we're, we're sharing and proclaiming a personal message. I love how the Word of God layers things out for us. Everyone knows John, I'm sorry, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that whosoever, you know, believes. So we have all, but then we have the whosoever. We have the multitude, then we have the individual. You know, it's one thing to, to share the word of God on Facebook. Put it out there. Hundreds of people. If you get a comment that you don't like, you can delete it. It's not a problem. Just get rid of it. You could write a book about the things of God and never meet people face to face. It's one thing to proclaim the word of God like that. It's a whole other ball game when you have relationship with people and you're dealing with real life situations and real life heartache and pain. How do you present that to an individual without the anointing of the Holy Spirit? I'm afraid many of us have tried and it doesn't work. How can we tell people about God's love and God's judgment? How can we tell people about heaven and hell and maintain a loving Christian relationship with them if they don't agree with us? How can we tell people this message that are different racially, ethnically, culturally? How can we do this without the help and the guidance and the teaching of the Holy Spirit working through us? The answer is we can't. 
That's why he went what he went through to give us the Holy Spirit. So I want to reemphasize the whole point. We need the Holy Spirit to love people. Whether we're the same, different, different age groups, whatever, culturally, we need the Holy Spirit to be an effective witness for the Lord. So I want to talk about three different characters in the Bible. And uh, as we go along, I'm going to try to make application to our situation here. And I've been alluding to, to some of this over the last few weeks. Uh, it may sound a little familiar, some of it anyway. The first person is Philip. Uh, Philip is called the evangelist in Acts 21. But we first see Philip in Acts chapter 6. You know the story, I've been referring to this. When the, the Hellenist Jews were complaining, they weren't getting their fair share of the distribution. Uh, Peter and John said, choose seven men among you filled with the Holy Spirit to take care of this problem. And one of the seven men was, was Philip. And uh, so he was filled with the Holy Spirit, wisdom, and had a good reputation. So in, in that setting, Philip, who was, who was a Jew, got some experience working with the Hellenist women who were Jews, but they were Greek Jews, they were Greek-speaking Jews. So culturally, they were different. Greeks, by, you know, by historical you know, uh, research, are, are known for their philosophies, their, um, their drama and art, their culture and so forth. I'm not sure what kind of person Philip was, but he was now dealing with people that were different than him. And he dealt with them effectively. We next see him in Acts chapter 8, in verse number 5, when persecution arose in Jerusalem, the Christians were scattered all over Judea and Samaria. And it says in verse number 5 that Philip settled in Samaria, and he came there to preach a supernatural message with, a, with an eternal message, and he came to preach a personal message. And my, my point is, where is the prejudice here? I could see when, when Philip went to Samaria, or I'm sorry, when, when Philip went to Jerusalem to help the Hellenists, although that was a little bit of a stretch because they were different culturally. But now going into Samaria, he's in a place that was Jewish people didn't go to Samaria. So I, I'm saying, I don't, when I read the narrative of the story, I don't see any angst on his part. I don't see any hesitation on his part to go there. I see a willingness to go there. How does that happen? It happens by a work of the Holy Spirit that gives him a broader view of what's important. I, I, I ask the question, where, where's the reluctance to get involved? Where's the hesitancy based on cultural norms? Where, where is the... Uh, the air of superiority, that I'm better than this. I, I, I can't go to Samaria. I'll stay with the Jews in Jerusalem, or Judea even. But to have me go to Samaria, but you, we see none of that in the narrative. And sometimes I'm realizing that in the Word of God, there's things that are written and things that are not written. It's not in the narrative. It's not here. But you have to think about why isn't it there? It's not there because it wasn't there. But why wasn't it there? It wasn't there because Philip, according to Acts 6, was filled with the Holy Spirit. He received this power to be a witness for the Lord in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost parts of the world. So going to Samaria at this point in his life was not a big deal. It was actually an opportunity. Look at verse number 7. Uh, Acts 10, I'm sorry, 8-7. He came with a, with a supernatural message. Unclean spirits were crying out. Many who were possessed, many were paralyzed, lame were healed. There was great joy in the city. But it was a supernatural message. 
he did not care that they were, before they were considered unclean, mixed race of people, uh, dirty, unholy, different than us, we don't associate with them. He came with a supernatural message for these people. He came with an eternal message. Verse 5 says he came to preach Christ. That's an eternal message right there. And he came with a personal message because in verse number 9 we see that he gets involved with one individual in particular. His name was Simon the sorcerer. And not only was Simon a, a Samaritan, he was also a sorcerer. He was someone involved with things that Christian people had nothing to do with. But Philip embraced him, loved him, talked to him, tried to set him straight, and dealt with him. And I, I want to say, we need to incorporate some of that unwritten philosophy into the church of today. This may be where the church was not so effective a generation ago, because this type of principle was not being taught or proclaimed. I'm not really sure. Or lived out. So, in verse number 6, we see Philip was ministering to the multitudes. In verse number 9, we see he was ministering to one person. In verses 26 and 27, we see another aspect of Philip's ministry. That as he was in the midst of this revival, I always was taken by this. He's in the midst of this revival. Who wants to leave a revival? Not me. I want to hang around. I want to be a part of it. I want to get all I can out of it. I want to enjoy the revival. But the Holy Spirit, or, or an angel, it says in verse 26, an angel of the Lord, verse 29, verse 26, an angel of the Lord said, Philip, leave the revival. Go down to Gazerod. There's one person I want you to minister to. Without any hesitation, he packs up and he goes to minister to this one person. But this one person, we think a Hellenist is unusual. That's one thing. We think a Samaritan is unusual. That's another thing. Here's another level. This, this guy is from Ethiopia, meaning he's black, most likely. He's from the, the, king, uh, the, queen's, uh, the queen's court. He, he's, he's an authority. He's a person of influence. He's a treasurer. He's educated. He's, he's a somebody. And he's a eunuch, meaning he was castrated you know, sexually to prevent him from any sexual activity with women that he might be working with. So this is a different type of a scenario. But where's the prejudice? Where's the, uh, the angst or the hesitation? There's none of that here. Philip is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's on a mission to save souls. It doesn't matter if they're Hellenists. It doesn't matter if they're Samaritans. It doesn't matter if they're from Ethiopia. It doesn't matter if they're eunuchs. It doesn't matter if they're uh, people in high places or if they're even a sorcerer. He's on a mission to share the Word of God. Can we learn something from that? That's a great story. That's a powerful story. And we need to incorporate these principles into our ministry here at the church. People tell me often that they don't see color. And I have to say, what do you mean? Is there something wrong with your vision? Are you blind? You have to see color. God made color. God made us different. Different color, different ethnicity, different whatever, cultures. We need to accept it and embrace it and love each other. But somewhere along the line, either racism or cultural division or eth ethnic pride or something entered into the body of Christ. But I believe with all my heart, it's unwritten in the Word of God, but I believe it in Acts 1-8. Jesus is saying, I'm going to get rid of all that junk in your life when you have the Holy Spirit. 
And you won't be limited to your people or your logic or your culture any longer. He did say go into all the world. How are you going to do that if you're holding on to prejudice or racism or whatever when you think someone's not worthy to receive the gospel? It'll never happen. It'll never happen. So, yeah, so we we need to accept color, accept diversity in the church, and love people, and be a witness for the Lord. Amen. You can clap. If you're at home, you can clap too. That's right, because listen, this is a message from God. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you to be my witnesses. Whether you're in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost part, you will be a witness for me. And I'll tell you what, the church of today needs some witnesses to rise up. Now, going back to yesterday, I told you I was impressed. I I felt the passion. I felt the pain of people. I was really impressed with these young people and their organizational skills and their ability to put it together and to speak in front of a thousand people. When I was that age, I I wouldn't be seen near a microphone. I I couldn't stand speaking in front of people. They had something to say. But we as a church have something to say to them. What we have to say to them is, Jesus is the answer. We can change all the laws and do all the social reform that we have to do. I'm all for it. However, bottom line, people need the love of Jesus Christ. And that's the church's responsibility, to proclaim it, not only to proclaim it, but to live it out. This is the problem. People look at the church and they say, oh, they don't like us. They don't accept us. They don't, they don't want us. Now, I don't know that they make that stuff up. It's a feeling. It's a sense that people get. I'm saying in the early church, that didn't exist. I see no prejudice in the church. If we go to Acts 13, which is probably a, a, a scripture for another message, in that church of Antioch, there were the leaders, the teachers, and the prophets, all racially diverse people in that church. How could that happen? By the power of the Holy Spirit. They weren't, they weren't letting color or culture or race affect their relationship because they believed with all their heart, as we do, that the ground is level at the cross. We're all equally sinners, and we're all equally redeemable. That puts us at a level plane across the board with all people. Let me give you the second one before I get preaching on Philip again. I want to talk about Peter. Peter's known as one of the fishers of men. Uh, Jesus said in in Mark 1, 17, uh, to Peter and Andrew, I will make you fishers of men. Peter is, uh, as you know, quite an interesting character. Colorful, passionate. We see him in Acts 1, Acts 2, waiting for the promise of the Father, waiting for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2.14, you may want to just skim over there if you want, but we see him now preaching, preaching to a multitude of people. A few, uh, seven weeks ago, we see him denying Jesus. I don't know him. Now we see him standing up and proclaiming the things of God. 3,000 people accept Christ that day. He tells people who ask him, what do we do? What do you do? You repent. Believe in Jesus Christ. Get water baptized and you'll be saved and you'll be filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 3, we see him, he and John, on their way to the hour of prayer at the temple, raising up a lame man, picking him up and saying, silver and gold, I have none. But in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. 
and they lift him up, and the good man jumps up, and he's leaping and praising God, and hallelujah. By Acts chapter 10, we see a whole other side of Peter, and I can't help but think, this is just my opinion, so don't, don't take it to the bank, it's just my, my opinion here, so let me, let me put that out there. I have a feeling, it's just my feeling, that the Lord choosing Peter to deal with a Gentile is a little bit humorous and a little bit tongue-in-cheek, like the Lord is saying, I'm going to show everybody what the Holy Ghost can do to change a person's heart. Because of all, the most unlikely person in the world to deal with a Gentile, in my opinion, is Peter, who's very opinionated and very loud and all this other stuff that we all know about. But he was chosen to go to Cornelius' house to minister. And I think that's so outrageous. But I think it's beautiful. And I, I don't want to talk all about it, but if you look at Acts chapter 10, I would encourage you to get familiar with that chapter. It's a wonderful chapter. But Cornelius and Peter were totally different people. Cornelius was a, a it says in the first couple of chapter, verses, verse number two, he wasn't a bad guy. He was a good guy. He was a solid man. He was devout. He feared God even. He was generous. He gave to the poor. He was respectful. In many ways, you could say he was the exact opposite of Peter before Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. But through a series of dreams that they both had, they were connected for a very special moment. So Cornelius is a Roman. He's from Caesarea. Peter's a Jew from Galilee. Cornelius is a soldier. Peter's a fisherman. Cornelius is a Gentile. Peter's a Jewish Christian. Cornelius is in the military. Peter lived in the Roman Empire as a Jew, and the Jews always felt they were oppressed by the Romans, so there was this conflict that could have been there. But under the influence of the Holy Spirit, when the, in, in verses 19 and 20, Peter was thinking about this dream he had. The Holy Spirit said to him, Peter, get up and go down to Cornelius' home. And in verse 20, 25, we, we see, 24, 25, Peter literally packed up and went to Cornelius' home. I could see if, if Peter said, well, wait, Lord, wait a minute. Can we meet outside in the park? Or can I meet in the office? Do I have to go to his home? That Gentile's home? Who knows what's in that place? Might be dirty, might be statues to demons. Who knows what's in there? Maybe immoral. I don't want to go to their home. There's none of that. None of that. Peter says, yes, Lord. I'll go to his home. For a Jew to go to his home is pretty radical. Unclean, unholy, unsanctified, unspiritual. Peter thought, I've got to be obedient. This is an opportunity. How does he get like that? How does someone get like that? I'm telling you, it's by a work of the Holy Spirit that changes how we think. It changes our priorities. It changes you know, where we come from, in a sense, like our feelings about certain things. So Peter goes there, and he shares the word of God with Cornelius and Cornelius' household. And he's sharing his life. He's telling him how it happened, how it went down. In verse number 44, we, as, as Peter's sharing, you know, sharing the word, sharing his personality, sharing his life, right in the middle of his, of his teaching in Cornelius' home, they apparently started to believe what he was saying, because it says they all, all of a sudden they started to speak in other tongues. And Peter realized, whoa, they're doing what we did on the day of Pentecost. What could prevent them from getting baptized in water? How does Peter realize all this? It's Holy Ghost anointing. 
It's Holy Spirit wisdom. Jesus said, when I send the Holy Spirit, he will, he will be a helper, he'll guide you, he'll be a teacher, and he'll give you wisdom. Now Peter has this wisdom that this message of the cross, of this message of redemption that came to the Jews, through the Jews, is now available to not only the Hellenist Jews, not only the Samaritan people, but now it's for the Gentile people, as in Acts 1.8. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost part of the world. So Peter... He, uh, he makes it happen. He, he, he's obedient to the things of God with a people that are totally different than him. As I was preparing this, I was reminded of uh, a situation that happened in, in our life, my, Pamela and I, many years, several years ago. Uh, we met a missionary from Ghana that was a missionary, a semi-guide missionary to the country of Nigeria. And we met him here in the States. Uh, he came to, to the U.S. And he became a minister to the African people that relocated here in the States that were part of the Assemblies of God. He had a national office. Very prominent person, this was. Well, I don't know how it happened, but I, I, I invited him to, to speak at our church at the time in Webster. And so that evening, that Saturday night, he stayed at our home we uh, had one of the kids move out of their bedroom for the night. And, and just to get to know a person from the other side of the globe, with their own culture and personality and lifestyle and eating habits and everything else, was amazing. But it was fun. I heard him wake up in the morning. I hear this, this voice singing in the next room over, just having a grand old time, all by himself, praising. I, I don't do that personally. I'm more reserved. He was just letting it out. He was ready to have church all by himself at 7 o'clock in the morning, before church even began. But I, I realized he is so different. We laughed. We laughed and had a good time, and uh, it was wonderful. When he preached that Sunday, in fact, while he was preaching, he, in the middle of his message, he looked at me and said, Pastor Amandola, I want to invite you to go to Nigeria with me. Will you come with me? So I'm in front of all these people, and I said, well, yeah, I guess I'll come with you. And, uh, and I came with, well, I came, I went to Nigeria, but the day before the trip, it's a big trip. He calls me up and says, uh, Brother Amandola, I have some news. I, I can't go to Nigeria with you. I said, why not? He goes, well, something's wrong with my visa. But I want you to go, you and Charles from Pawtucket. I said, oh, man, okay. So anyway, we went to Nigeria, but he didn't come with us. But I'm just saying, such a different life and life experiences, but we were brought together by the Holy Spirit. It was wonderful. It was, it was enjoyable. It was awesome. And so only the Holy Spirit can make those changes happen in our lives. Are you open to a church? I have to ask you. Because if we're open to this, I'm telling you, Racism won't exist in the church. But can you see the problem? Obviously, it's not, not, and I'm talk, not talking about this church. I'm talking about the church at large. The American church is so big and powerful. The evangelical church is so, so mighty, it seems. But yet, when you get below the surface of church life, look at the news in the last three or four weeks. There's riots on the street. Uh, my thing is, where's the influence of the church on the street level? And it'll never get on the street level unless it's on our level. And once it's on our level, we'll do our part to have it filter out onto the street level. Let me give you the third reason, person I want to talk about. That's Paul. And if you would turn it in your Bible to 
1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, if you're watching on live stream, take out your Bible. Turn with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to read a couple of verses, starting at verse number 19. It says, Paul says here, now Paul is known as the apostle to the Gentiles. He says, though I am free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. What does he mean by that? I'm free of all men. Paraphrase, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I'm free. I'm liberated. I don't care what people think. But I've made myself, what does he say? I've made myself a servant to all that I might win some others to Christ. I'm free of the, I'm free of the, you know, the opinions, the prejudice, what people say behind my back. I don't care about any of that. I have made myself a servant. I'm on a mission to win souls for Christ. And then he goes on and explain, to explain what he's talking about. I find this so interesting. He says, to the Jew, I became a Jew. Okay. To those that are culturally Jewish, you know, he became like them. Well, he comes from that, so that wasn't so hard to do. But he didn't forget where he came from. That's important to remember. He associated with the Jews. You know, he became Jewish in a sense so that he could relate to them the things of God. To, uh, to those who are under the law, I became as one who is under the law, that I might win those that are under the law. What does that mean, under the law? Those are the real serious Hardcore Jewish people that are strictly under the law. Everything they do is regimented by the law. And Paul could say, listen, I was a Pharisee. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I, I was zealous for the law. I know all about you guys. So he's saying, I associate with you. I can identify with you. Then he says in verse number, uh, verse number 21, to those that are without the law, as without the law. Then he clarifies what he's talking about. But what he's saying is, I can identify those without the law as though I was without the law. But then he says, but although I am of the law of Christ, I can imagine, I can feel, I can sense what these other people are doing outside of the law. He's putting himself in their shoes. He's talking about Gentiles, pagans, heathens, non-Jewish people. And then he says, to those that are weak, I become as weak that I might win the weak. I become sympathetic. I become uh, compassionate. I become uh, aware of people's sufferings, that I could minister to them and win them to Christ. We know from Acts 13, 14, 15 that Paul and Barnabas and John Mark went on these missions trips all over the Roman Empire they had an idea to go into Rome, which he did go finally, although he was imprisoned. He had a goal to go into Spain. But he had a vision to go into all the world and proclaim the things of God without letting his religion, his culture, his ethnicity, his race be a stumbling block for anybody. He can relate to anybody, is what he's saying. So how does he do that? The only way he could do that is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So I'm, I'm telling the church today, I'm speaking to those at home, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, if we were going to be a real Pentecostal church, we would stop, and I need to do this too, we should stop stereotyping ourselves. What's a Pentecostal? Oh, Pentecostal's loud. Pentecostals preach for three hours and worship for five hours and run around the church. Well, not really, not all the time. A Pentecostal is a person that's filled with the Holy Ghost. 
to be a witness for Jesus Christ in any culture, any country, any land, with any language group, any cultural group, any ethnicity, without being prejudiced. That's what a Pentecostal is. And, and, and to me, it, if we had this, if the church, and it, but the thing is, the church, there were Pentecostal churches in the 50s and 60s. There were. But many of them were prejudiced still. And it's funny, ironic, that we trace our roots back to Azusa Street, the Azusa Street Revival in, in Los Angeles, in what, 1914? I think it was, or 1904, I forget. Early 1900s. The leader of that revival was an African-American man, William Seymour. And somewhere along the line, I don't know when, but based on racial issues, the Assemblies of God started, and then the Church of God in Christ started. This was white, and this was black. And the two groups are doing great. But in the very beginning, it should have been taken care of in the very beginning. But at that time, think about it. There were so much racial issues in the country, it seemed logical for them to separate, segregate. Now we're going here full circle, and we're right back where we started from. We're a Pentecostal church. We, we don't let color or race or ethnicity divide us. In fact, we let it unite us. That's what a Pentecostal church does. Now, I can't talk about the other denominations. I can only talk about the Pentecostal church, because that's, that's what we are. So I need to do this. You need to do this. We need to understand. And, and again... So much is in the Word of God that's not written in the Word of God. I find it amazing. No one says, no one documented Philip was not prejudiced. No one documented Paul didn't hold a grudge against the, the Gentiles or whatever. You know, no one said Peter you know, didn't like Cornelius' people. It, it, but what, what it's saying by not saying is, is that it's been resolved. It's been taken care of. It's not an issue. It was not an issue. Over the years, it's become an issue. So if we want to be a Pentecostal, New Testament, Holy Ghost-filled church, guess what? We've got to get back to some basics and understand that there's nothing that should separate us from people. Well, when I think about the Holy Spirit, I want to give you a couple more things to think about. You know, in Acts chapter 6, it's a story of the, the Hellenist Jews and the complaining and so forth. Acts chapter 6 goes on to say that Stephen did great things. Great exploits were done through Stephen. And verses 9 and 10 of Acts 6 say that there was a certain group of people. They were, called the, the, uh, they were from the synagogue of the freedmen. Verses 9 and 10. These were Jewish scholars from Africa, Egypt, and Asia that disputed with Stephen. They didn't like what Stephen had to say. They were brilliant scholars of the law, but they were from all different countries. You, you, you'd read it and study it. But it says in verse number 10, although they disputed with Stephen, they were unable to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. I love that. Here are these educated, brilliant people arguing with Stephen, you know, over principles in the word, but they could not fight against the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit working through Stephen. I love that. We read in Acts chapter 15, the, the Jerusalem council. Well, all these Gentiles were getting saved. Peter, Peter goes to the Jerusalem council to defend his ministry and Paul's ministry. 
We've seen Gentile people get filled with the Spirit, speak in other tongues. What do we do with these people that are a part of the church? Well, they have this big meeting. And some are, some are saying they need to become Jews before they can become Christians. And others are saying, no, just accept them the way they are. They're good the way they are. And it says in verse number what? Verse number 28. James says, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's influencing their decisions on what to do with these Gentile people. So some Judaizers were saying, you've got to become Jewish. You've got to get circumcised. You have to obey the feast and celebrate the holidays like we do before you can become a Christian. Others are saying, forget it, just take them in. But with, with their own logic and with the influence of the Holy Spirit, they came up with two things. Change some of your eating habits because it's offensive to people. Don't eat food that was sacrificed to idols or food that was strangled. Or don't drink blood. It's, it's, that's, that's what heathens do. So don't, don't do that. And don't be sexually immoral anymore. Two things. So the Holy Spirit was intricately involved with that big decision to embrace the Gentiles into the church with some modifications of their lifestyle. Obviously, there has to be something. But that was the work of the Holy Spirit. And good, you know, give credit to, to James and, the, and the, the, uh, the church fathers at that time to listen to the Holy Spirit. That's why there were some people that said, no, no, they have to become Jewish, Jews first. And they said, no, they don't. They just need to straighten up some of the things they're doing. And all through the epistles, we, in Ephesians, Colossians, Paul frequently would, would say, I'm praying for you to have a spirit of wisdom, to have spiritual understanding, to be strengthened in wisdom and might through the Holy Spirit in your inner man. That was his constant prayer for the church, churches. And that should be our constant prayer as well, that we would constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit, with wisdom and power. Remember, Acts 1.8, you shall receive power to be my wisdom. The power is the Holy Spirit coming to be a helper, to be a teacher, and to be a guide and to give wisdom. That power needs to be with us all the time. Amen? So, on the one hand, we're in a predicament. On the other hand, we have an opportunity before us. I want to leave you with these, these three thoughts. The power to love. We are called to be God's hands extended. We're, we're called to be light and salt. The salt of the earth, the light of the world. You know, we're called to reach out to people. We're called to make a difference in the culture in which we live. We're called to be God's hands embracing. 1 Corinthians 12, when one suffers within the body, guess what? We all suffer. I said it last week, but I'll say it again. There are people of color, African-American people, or people of color, generally speaking, that are suffering right now. For the white people involved, as a Christian person, we have an obligation to be compassionate towards our brothers and sisters. It's got to start here, towards our brothers and sisters. I, I'm missing the logic in how we cannot be compassionate with our own brothers and sisters. There's so much division in the church. It's, 
It's flesh. It's not spirit. It's flesh. But we're called to be God's hands extended and God's hands to embrace people. Well, what if God calls you to embrace someone that's a different race than you? And you were brought up to think that you don't do that. You don't eat with people of a different color. You don't go out with people of a different color or a different ethnicity. But now that you're a Christian, now that you've got the Holy Spirit in your life, guess what? You're called to do it. And we've got to do it. We've got to get beyond whatever it was we were brought up with. God's hands extended, God's hands embracing, and God's hands to edify. It says in 1 Corinthians 8, it says that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. How are you going to love people when you don't like them? You know, a lot of people don't like people because of how they look or how they act or what color they are or what country they come from, but God has called us to love people and to edify people. And we have the power to love. It's called Holy Ghost anointing. It's like our, our, our number one power tool that's been locked in the closet for a generation. It's time to bring out the power into the church. I'm telling you, if you, if you saw the thing yesterday, you, you, you would have to have been moved. But in another sense, and I, I don't mean this critical in any way whatsoever, I, I, I support them and I, I'm impressed with them. On the other hand, I feel like they're sheep without a shepherd. Are some churches involved? Yeah, they are. But they're involved on a social level. They're not involved on a spiritual level. Am I for that? It's okay. I'm more about spiritual things, though, myself. Because I believe with the spiritual things, there is a social element, not the other way around. So it's going to be interesting what happens in the next few weeks here in Haverhill with all this, in, in our country, actually. So the closing thought is this. Last week I preached on the topic of horizontal love. I'll leave you with the, with the, uh, the scripture in Matthew 22, 36, 35, 36, 37. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. Vertical relationship with God. With all your heart, soul, and mind. Love, love God. Love God. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Vertical, horizontal. And the only way we can really do that is with the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. So again, how do you get the power of the Holy Spirit? Ask Every day, ask, Father, you said, fill me with your Holy Spirit today. I need your Spirit today, O oh God. And he will fill us with his Spirit. So, the power of love. Let's stand together. I want to encourage you, church, encourage you, those that are, uh, that are at home, think about this. How can God use you in your realm in your workplace, in your family, in your social structure that you have? How could God use every one of us where we're planted to be a witness for him? Just to be a witness. It may begin with a, with a hello to somebody. Just a, just a hello. A nice look on your face. It may, it may begin with, uh, how, you, how you doing? Whatever. 
How can God use you to be a witness for the Lord? Every head bowed for just a moment. Well, now that we have the opportunity, is there anyone here this morning that feels like, I just need to start all over again with the Lord? I feel like these weeks have been stressful. I've been... I've been out of source. I've been out of my, my spiritual routines. I just need to get right with God again today. Anyone like that? Just raise your hand. No one will see. I just want to, okay, thank you. Uh, anyone else? I just want to make things right with God. Okay, does anyone feel like, Lord, I, I need to have this power so that I can make a difference in my world where I live? Yes, anybody else? I, my hand is, I need this power. Lord, Lord, I wonder how many of us would pray, Lord, would you give me opportunities to be a witness for you? In situations that, w- that will stretch me, that will take me beyond what I'm used to, because that's what God wants to do. Okay. Father, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your word, for your message, for the things that are written in your word, as well as the things that are not written in your word. We pray, Lord, that we here at New Life would truly be a New Testament Pentecostal church filled with the Spirit of God. We pray, Lord, that any racism in this fellowship would be eradicated once and for all as we all develop the mind and heart of Christ. We pray, Lord, that any person that walks through our doors of any race, any culture, any ethnicity, any language group would feel welcome in the house of God. We pray, Lord, that we would demonstrate that love by genuinely caring about people and either asking the right questions or just listening to others. Lord, I pray for new life to be a lighthouse during these days. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint us to be a voice of yours, a voice of reason, and a voice of love to our community. So, Lord, fill us, baptize us with your spirit, I pray, and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, before you go, I want to say one more thing. Uh, yesterday, there were a 1,000 plus people at this rally, and I said, it, I said it many times, I commend them. This Thursday, we're calling for a solemn assembly of all the Christians in town to meet in our parking lot, in the upper parking lot, however many people come. Will we get a 1,000 people? <laughs> but the invitation is there. I want to see what the church, how the church responds to this crisis that we're dealing with. We need to respond with it by praying together. So just to get 20 churches together will be a miracle in and of itself. With the pastors and with people from different churches, that will be another miracle. But the invitation is there this Thursday at 7 o'clock. We'll pray for about one hour. Okay? So God bless you. According to the rules, we've got to exit out the front door.